and welcome to mini episode 120 of Real Life Ghost Stories. I have five spooky stories for you today. The last story comes from May the 11th, 2021 and story number one comes from Aaron. When I was very little, about seven years old, I got my first exposure to the paranormal. I woke up in the middle of the night and what I saw left me frozen with fear. Left being the key word there because I rolled over to face my doorway I know it was not sleep paralysis. In my doorway stood at least 13 different ghosts. Some Aboriginal ghosts, some from the British settlers, and a few that I couldn't quite tell when they had died. Each very clearly there. They almost seemed to glow in a translucent blue, and each had a visible death. One of the settlers, I recall, had a spear through his head. His hair was matted with blood. Some of the indigenous spirits had gunshot wounds and so on. The main ghost that stood out for me personally, however, was a little girl, no older than five. Her hair was wet and her white nightgown was sticking to her body. I remember hearing the water droplets hit the floor where a pool of water was. I think she had drowned. I always felt very close with that girl and so I had given her the name Leah. I don't know where the name came from, but I remember just calling her it one day. There are other spirits here too, aside from those that I saw on that first night. There was a teenage girl about 16 years old who had been hung, if not on the property, then somewhere else. I know this because I had woken up one night, lying dead on my back facing the ceiling. She was clinging onto the roof with her nails and her toenails. The second she noticed I was awake, she slipped me a brief smile and let go, leaving herself hanging less than a fraction of a millisecond before her form disappeared into mist. I don't know how, but I know that she always looked over me, like the older sister that I never had. One night I couldn't sleep and I distinctly recall hearing this china music box my auntie made me, cranking up painfully slow. I remember the brief silence before the familiar tune started playing throughout my room. Keep in mind I was a child, And when I wasn't tired, my parents would either read me a book, sing me a lullaby, or wind up the music box. So I assumed my mum, who sleeps in her own bedroom on the second floor, just a room away from mine, had heard me tossing and turning during the night. I figured she'd snuck in quietly and started my music box for me. So without opening my eyes, I whispered, Thank you. I got no response. I opened my eyes and I shit you not, no one was in my room. Not my mum, not my dad. I would have surely heard if they had left. The music box had played completely on its own. And I have always rested easy knowing the teenager had wound it up for me. I know my dad's dead dog also haunts the house, as sometimes my cat freaks out. And one time my dad woke to being licked on the face by air, years after the dog had died. This fourth story takes place at my grandparents' and my mum and auntie's childhood home. My grandfather's father had just died, and so my family was upset about it, as you would be. But one night my nana woke to being physically shaken awake. It was my dead grandfather, who my nana claims looked real and physical as though he was actually there. He was shouting, The kids, the kids, you have to save the kids! But my nana rushed out without stopping and thinking, and sure enough, a pipe had burst, and my auntie and my mum's rooms were slowly flooding. I doubt they would have died, 
but either way it's safe to say that my nana my granddad mum and auntie could rest easy knowing my great granddad was watching over them and keeping them safe and finally the most frightening story out of my family's ghost experiences the time my cousins and i met my other cousin my cousins are from melbourne so when they visit the family makes a pretty big deal out of it e.g. sleepovers big family roast dinners etc so this one time when my cousins came over it was a typical story roast dinner and i was staying the night sharing the one person bottom bunk equipped with the love heart covered pink sheet set with my older female cousin and my older male cousin had the top bunk to himself sleeping peacefully at first in the blue red sailed boat sheet set during the middle of the night my cousin sarah and i woke up at almost if not the exact same time she was facing the rest of the room from her side of the bed i was facing up against the wall she whispered erin erin so i mumbled what back at her as i rolled over to face her and sure enough i got my answer there in the doorway of the walk-in wardrobe which also connects with the bathroom acting as a sort of a hallway from one to the other was my cousin henry sitting on the floor holding his knees to his chest hugging them rocking backwards and forwards his face even in the darkness was pale from shock his eyes were wide and his mouth was closed as tight as possible sarah and i watched him for a while and eventually we started to calm down assuming he was just sleepwalking or something of the sort until the top bunk shook as henry rolled over that thing was not my cousin As I was recording that a ladybird flew into my hair and got stuck right by my ear and I couldn't get it out. <sighs> Frightened the life out of me first of all and second of all you'll all be glad to know that it is out of my hair now and it is on the desk beside me. I would love to know if the other people in your household experienced similar things like that is a huge amount of activity in the one household and we've spoken before about uh Hail Fenog the Welsh was it called the Welsh Amityville Anyway, and there was so much stuff going on in that house and you know, I'm not a big believer in this idea about portals or whatever. But in that story, there was a suggestion that the house was built on some sort of like portal or ley line or like crossroads in the spirit world whatever it was. Anyway, this sounds very similar because they were seeing all sorts of different spirits and stuff and this is what Erin is also seeing too. I absolutely hate seeing the cousin that's not your cousin curled up on the floor looking terrified and then your cousin's actually in bed. No, terrible. Those doppelgangery like mimic stories really scare me. And before I move on to the next story, I'm going to have to go move this ladybird because it is just flying into my face constantly. Okay, the ladybird has been safely evicted and story number 2 comes from Lee John. My mate was basically given his first house when his grandmother died. and left it to his parents. He spent a lot of time and money doing it up and invited my wife and I to his housewarming party. We declined due to having a young son, but said that we would pop around before the party for a coffee. One night in our local pub, the house was the subject of conversation, and he told me that his grandmother spent all her time in the kitchen, and if you wanted to go and talk to her at all, you had to go and sit in the kitchen. She never sat in the living room. I let him reminisce but I never gave it a second thought. The big day came and we had a coffee and a chat in his new home. Me, my wife and son 
my friend and his girlfriend. When we left, my friend's girlfriend walked us to the door while my mate changed for the party. I carried my son to the car. He was a toddler at the time and still in his car seat, so I was holding him when he said, Who's the old lady? I laughed and said, That's not an old lady, that's daddy's friend. My mate's girlfriend was still standing in the doorway. And my son added, No, who's the old lady in the kitchen? I wanted to carry him back inside, but my mate's girlfriend was having none of it, saying, Put him in the car, I don't want to know, I do not want to know. I'm a sceptic, but to this day I tell people, I don't believe in ghosts, but my son has seen one. Your friend's girlfriend had the right idea. Get that child out of here, put them in the car, don't want to know, we're not bringing them back inside to confirm what they have seen, we're going to pretend this isn't happening. That is definitely the way to deal with things, absolutely. And the thing is, small kids have no framework, so this child is going to a house for coffee with his parents, right? He doesn't know that there shouldn't be an old lady in the kitchen. So if he sees that old lady in the kitchen, he is just automatically accepting there's an old lady there, I can see her and not questioning it as something paranormal or not double thinking it or not trying to rationalise what they are seeing. They're just seeing it and accepting it. So maybe kids are seeing things more than we know, which is an absolutely horrific thought. And story number three comes from Molly. This story takes place at the site of the Codnor Castle ruins in Derby. The weather was so nice on this day that I decided to ask my dad if he wanted to go for a walk with our dog somewhere, suggesting a place about a 30-minute walk from where we live. When my dad mentioned Codnor Castle, we'd wanted to go there earlier this year, but ground conditions were awful due to heavy rainfall at the end of the summer, early autumn of 2020. So I couldn't refuse since I'd never been before, but had wanted to go for several years. So we set off in the car, parked up across the road from the footpath to the ruins in the designated car park for the site, and set off walking. Then things just kept getting weirder and weirder. The footpath started off like a bridleway that opened out into the fields, typical of what you normally get on a circular walking route in the area. It was very pleasant, with nothing significant except for the bird song, which was somehow amplified there. After four or five fields, we started to walk through one that took on a very different feeling. My dad and I were just chatting, our dogs sniffing around having a great time, and I don't know how we got on to it, but I said, You see, this one feels busy, not just because of all the flowers here, but like, like people are working. This isn't an unusual thing for me to say, and my parents are aware that I have some sort of empathic ability. Sometimes I can hold an object and get snippets of history from it. I think this is called psychometry. And I also have a sixth sense, which is present in other family members. I brushed it off because these feelings are normal for me, and I thought that would be that, until we reached the ruins. The footpath opened up into another field, this time one full of ditches and embankments, typical of what you get at castle ruins where the walls are still underground. As we walked up one bank, I started to get a strange sensation in my head, like a buzzing. Not a literal buzzing sound, but more like the feeling you get when you're holding the tweezers in the board game Operation and you hit the metal edges and his nose glows red and buzzes. Strange analogy aside, 
It was a really odd feeling, almost like the pressure in my ears was all for something, like a dull throbbing but not painful, just sort of there. The buzzing sensation got stronger the closer I got to the ruins. But as I reached the stone wall, the buzzing continued, but shifted to the right of my head and was almost like a tugging, drawing me towards something. It's worth me mentioning that also on this site, not 50 metres away, is an old farmhouse, affectionately named Codnor Castle College. Quaint, right? This pulling feeling in my head didn't let up until I looked in the direction of the house. Naturally, my dad started to tell me stuff about it, before turning his attention back and talking about the castle ruins again. But I can't remember chunks of what he said because the buzzing in my head was so intense, almost loud and distracting. As we got closer to it, we were looking at it from another of the many embankments, and the words murder and suicide popped into my head, almost at the same time, so they overlapped. And then that overwhelming feeling again, like something was gesturing me to walk over to it. I ignored it for that moment, and my dad, my dog and I continued to walk around the ruins. It really is an incredible location, right down to how it sits in the land, and there's even a Time Team episode about it. The paths around the ruins naturally lead downhill towards the farmhouse, and though the buzzing had subsided, it was still there, just as a reminder that something was off. Nothing made me feel uneasy, just odd or misplaced. I did my usual thing of snapping photos when I felt I was being looked at, and nothing was present in them. My dad spotted an old barn, and he climbed up a few unstable stone steps to take some photos through an old doorway. The wind had picked up a bit by this point, and just to add to the spooky vibe of the place, the wind was causing a nearby hay storage roof, you know the corrugated iron kind, to shift and creak every now and then, and the first time it made me jump. My dad was still taking photos. I was stood with my dog, and the wind blew again. But this time there was a high-pitched undertone to it, almost like a woman calling out, singing a string of high notes. The birds fell silent, just for a few seconds, but enough to make me question if I had really heard someone singing on the breeze. When we got home, we were watching the Time Team episode about the castle, and we reflected on a conversation about the place we had had with the family who were also visiting the ruins that day. The Codnor Castle College, as it turns out, had a most haunted episode dedicated to it, which was unknown to myself up until today. There's a website which details the more in-depth stuff, but it is very active and scores quite high on the list of the most haunted places in the UK. But what shocked me most, upon finding the mentioned website, was that there had been a murder and multiple suicides, and a grey lady who, to quote, has been known to glide wistfully around the grounds, and sometimes you can hear her singing. And I have just added Codnor Castle to the list of places that I need to check out. What a cool story. From listening to these stories and other stories that are similar to it, I would hate to be sensitive in any way. I would hate to have empathic abilities. I would hate to have a sixth sense about things. Because it just sounds so exhausting that you go somewhere new and you have all these feelings, but you can't definitively figure out where those feelings are coming from. Oh, I would just find it really exhausting and obviously scary as shit. But I'm definitely going to go and find that most haunted episode for sure. And story number four comes from Jordan. 
Growing up, my aunts Amara and Lindsay, who are the same age as me, and my cousin Savannah, would stay at my grandma Sherry's house a lot during the summer. Even though I spent summers with my dad, he would let me spend a few nights of the summer with them. Growing up, they lived in a house and we called it the house on Theodore Street. My grandma moved around a lot, so we would refer to them by street name, and they only lived in this house for about five years, but most of my memories there were good. I remember when I was young, we would spend most of our time either in the back patio room, which was converted into a bedroom, or the finished half of the basement. And like any Midwestern home, with a part of the basement that was unfinished, it was creepy as hell. I remember my grandpa used to scare us with an old man mask that he had at that house all the time, just for laughs, though no real harm was done. And it was why whenever I felt the presence of an angry bearded man in the unfinished half of the basement... I always assumed it was just because of the creepy mask. A few years later, in 2011, was my junior year of high school and my parents lost everything because of the recession. So we had to leave our home in California of 11 years and move back to Michigan so we could be closer to family and they could keep us from losing everything. My grandma still owned the house on Theodore Street, but she lived with her boyfriend on the other side of town. So we were able to live in that house with my Aunt Amara, who was about 19 or 20 at the time. When she moved out, I got to take her room, which was way bigger than any room I'd had before. And I even got to paint it aquamarine like my old bedroom in California, with one aqua and white striped accent wall. And my parents took over the back patio bedroom. I didn't stay in my room often during the summer or weekends because I was mostly with my best friend. I had my bed in the middle of the room but I didn't like how I could see the sliding mirror doors when I slept, so I moved my bed towards the wall opposite the closet. After having my bed there for a few days, I experienced sleep paralysis, and I dreamed of a bearded angry man like the one I could sometimes feel in the basement. He was sitting at a desk next to my bed and it was pitch dark, besides a candle he had lit, and all I could see was a scraggly beard and a furrowed brow. He looked at me and he said, You know there's a ghost here. I didn't respond and then he spoke again and he said, He's going to whisper in your ear and tug on your toe. And then I woke up and heard a hot whisper in my ear. I could not hear what was said, but before I could process, I felt a tug on my foot. I told my mom about it and we laughed, thinking it was a silly dream. And again, I added this all up to the old man mask from my childhood which was ironically still in the basement. A few years pass and on Mother's Day, my aunt and grandmother started talking about true crime, which got me into podcasts, which led me into telling them about real-life ghost stories, and then that led my grandmother to asking if I believed in ghosts. I told her that I did, and she and my aunt Andrea talked about how the house on Theodore Street was haunted, which is strange, because I had heard stories of all the other houses that they lived in besides Theodore. And before I could ask anything, they said, yeah, the old man with a beard. I asked them if he hung around the kitchen and the basement steps, and they both said yes. And then I told them that I always hated doing the dishes and going down the steps, because I felt the old man staring at me. My aunt then told a story about how she felt him get in her face while doing the dishes. My grandmother then said that she'd had an experience in my room. She woke up one night to a man with a beard watching her sleep. And she, like me, thought it was sleep paralysis. We were no longer living in the house on Theodore Street, so my aunt told me that she'd seen the current tenants of the house, 
and my aunt asked him whether he'd experienced anything paranormal in the house. He was so scared that he walked away, and then his girlfriend told my aunt he had gotten so scared one night that he drove his car to her work and slept in the lit parking lot, and refused to speak anything of it. In all of the sleep paralysis stories that I've read and listened to, I don't ever remember one where the entity spoke to the person. Now, I've I've not experienced sleep paralysis, so I don't know. I could be completely wrong. But I don't remember the entity ever speaking to the person. And these stories were people who experience sleep paralysis or what they think is sleep paralysis and then find out that other members of the family have seen the same thing in sleep paralysis episodes scares the bejesus out of me. And story number five comes from Brian. This happened about four or five years ago at my cousin Vincent's house, which I learned later he had at least two spirits in, one mischievous spirit they called Timmy and a dark one that they never named. They just called it the other one. My cousin's house sits about 50 feet off the main road. The house itself is a two-story with a full basement that is used as the main entrance to the house via the stairs. In the yard is an old short stump that used to be a big oak tree that the previous owner hung himself in years ago. I don't know if he's one of the spirits or not. I will leave that up to you to decide. Anyway, my cousin and his wife moved about six hours away and asked me to house sit for him, which I quickly said yes to. I'd been married for 25 years with three kids and was looking forward to some time to myself. I packed some clothes for a couple of days' stay and my pistol and took off on the five-minute drive to my cousin's house. I keyed my way in, went up the stairs and put my things in one of the bedrooms. Entered the kitchen, where I placed two large potatoes that I was going to cook for lunch the next day on the counter and went to the living room to watch some TV. The dining room has a door to a small porch with three steps to the yard and the living room has a door to a large porch with no outside access because it's on the high side of the home on the second story. The house itself was built into the hillside. I watched TV and snacked until late into the night, or early morning, whichever way you want to look at it, and went to bed. Only after a few hours of sleep I was awoken by a police siren, and heard the car go speeding past until I could no longer hear it. A few seconds later, I heard a door open, and someone entered the house and closed the door. I got out of bed and grabbed my pistol and started making my way through the house looking for the intruder. Now picture this. You're an intruder, you just broke into a house and tell me which one is more intimidating. Being confronted by a 6 foot 225 pound man with a gun or by a naked 6 foot 225 pound man with a gun. Guess which one I was. That's right, I was naked with a gun. So I'm going through the house naked and I get into the last room on that floor, the kitchen, and it's empty. I check the living room, and it's locked. I went downstairs to check the door, and it's locked. I make my way back to the kitchen for one last check, and that's when I noticed one of the potatoes was missing. I think to myself, who would break into a house and steal a freaking potato? There is no one in the house but me, so I went back to bed and go right to sleep. After I rechecked to make sure the doors were locked, The next morning I got up, showered and made my way to the kitchen for some breakfast. And that's when I noticed it. There on the counter were two potatoes. I picked up both potatoes and threw them outside because I couldn't be sure which one disappeared and I wasn't about to eat one that a ghost may disappear and reappear. Would you? 
As a random fun fact, there were tribes of Celtic warriors that used to run into battle naked. For that very reason, they felt like it intimidated their enemies and um, nothing would shock their enemies more than being confronted with grown men naked with their weapons, both figuratively and literally. So, yeah. When these items disappear, for poltergeist reasons, whatever reasons they are, where do they go? Are they moved from one place to another? Does the poltergeist physically carry them? So if you'd gone downstairs at the appropriate moment, a potato would have been floating through the air. Or do they like apparate them from one place to another? Would I eat a disappeared potato? I probably would, to be honest. There is very little that I wouldn't eat and there is very little that would stand in the way of me and my food. Thank you so much to Aaron, Lee John, Molly, Jordan and Brian for sending in your stories. And thank you so much for listening. If you would like to know anything about Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast, you can do so by checking out our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you next time.